Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. Last Sunday, the 26th of February, Betty Boothroyd, the first female speaker of the House of Commons, she passed away at the grand age of 93. Born in 1929 in Dewsbury, West Yorkshire, she was the only daughter of mill workers. Her career path was unusual. She became a dancer with the Tiller Girl troupe. Older listeners might remember Sunday night at the London Palladium. Betty served as Speaker for eight years before going on to become a Baroness in the House of Lords from 2001. And by all accounts, she was a really colourful figure. Sir Lindsay Hoyle, the current Speaker of the House, said she was an inspirational woman who was known for her no-nonsense style. Sir Lindsay said, Betty was one of a kind, a sharp, witty and formidable woman. I will miss her. The flags in Parliament were flown at half-mast and the House of Commons held a one-minute silence before business began last Monday. But as I've been pondering the many tributes to Baroness Hoyle, I've been impressed by a theme that emerges in the cut-and-thrust arena of politics. She was a woman of great kindness. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said Baroness Boothroyd was a remarkable woman, praising her passion, wit and sense of fairness. Sir Tony Blair said she was big-hearted and kind. John Major, she was easy to like and easier still to admire. But it was Alastair Campbell who said she was a one-off and former Scottish Conservative leader Ruth Davidson simply tweeted, Betty Boothroyd was magnificent. How do you become magnificent? Perhaps one clue is in that word, kind. And tonight, I'd like to talk about the power of simple kindness, not least because the Bible emphasizes kindness. Love is kind, declares the Apostle Paul, writing to the fighting Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus with a heartfelt call, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. To the Colossians, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. But it's important to know that the call to be kind is not just about being nice. When we are kind, we reflect the kind heart of the Lord Jesus. A beautiful Old Testament word that captures something of the kind heart of God is hased. We usually see that translated as loving kindness. Surely kindness is an often overlooked characteristic of God who graced his old covenant people with that loving kindness. Kindness often costs nothing except time and thought, but surely turns heads and hearts here on earth. And surely heaven watches and celebrates acts of kindness as well. So, being kind, let's talk about it. As we reflect on the power of kindness, particularly as we consider the legacy of Betty Boothroyd, let's know that a little kindness can change a life. When Ken showed up at our church, he caused quite a stir. Some of our congregation, concerned about their safety, called upon the Lord with a whispered prayer for protection. Others, preferring more temporal security, considered calling the police. 
We don't normally treat visitors to our church with such suspicion, but Ken was the ultimate portrait of menace, dressed totally in black with his arms and face covered in some pretty interesting tattoos. His studded trench coat made him look like a vampire, and our congregation weren't that keen on giving blood. His rage was further confirmed by his tattooed knuckles. On one hand, a four-letter word was scrawled. On the other, to complete the abusive greeting, was the word you. That had been Ken's lifelong message. Ken was an angry drug abuser who had spent more than half of his life in jail. He was notorious in our community, his face permanently twisted into a snarl. He only came to the service because somebody dared him to attend. You're so horrible, you should try church, they'd told him. Hardly a warm evangelistic strategy, but it had apparently worked. Ken showed up, and he sat at the back absolutely determined to be unmoved by the event, and he later confessed that in his living memory, he had never, ever cried. Who knows what horrible childhood traumas had smitten his tear ducts with a lifelong drought. Then little Marge Sample showed up, silver-haired, elderly, and with a smile that could light up a room. Little Marge was on duty as a member of the welcome team that morning. She boldly strolled over to where Ken was sitting, his arms folded defiantly, that familiar angry expression all across his face. Hello, she chirped. I'm Marge. I don't believe we've met. She rested her hand lightly on his studded shoulder. Marge was somewhat taken aback by Ken's immediate violent response. Burying his face in his hands, he suddenly exploded into loud wailing. This was no penitent whimper. He howled, heads turned nervously. What was going on? Ken sobbed his way into the kingdom that day. The emotional dam burst was triggered quite simply because for the first time in a very long time, somebody had been pleased to see him. A simple gesture of welcoming kindness unlocked a man who'd been imprisoned by hate for decades. Ken started to attend church and his enthusiasm in worship initially caused a few raised eyebrows. When he raised his hands in worship, people three rows back got a rather unexpected message from those lifted knuckles with the swear words on them. So eventually, Ken decided to have those words removed by laser surgery. A doctor in our church volunteered his time, and we took an offering to cover other hospitalization costs. Standing in the baptismal tank with his hands still encased in post-operative plastic bags, he thanked the congregation, his face beaming. He held up those hands. Now the outside matches the inside, he said. I'm clean. Ken's life was totally transformed and his conversion stuck. Sometimes it doesn't take a lot to change everything. Kindness can change the world, can change a person's life. Little Marge passed away recently, her sparkling eyes now just a memory, at least for the time being. But she was living proof that simple acts of kindness can trigger nothing less than revolution. And who knows, perhaps when she passed, she found herself in the presence of a heavenly welcoming committee, and then another someone with his hands wounded, not by hate, but by love, 
step forward with a smile and a heart of kindness. Kindness. My knowledge of Hebrew is somewhat limited. Shalom is the only word that I can say when I'm in Israel with great confidence, although I am wrestling with a temptation to shout oi at the end of every sentence. Only in this bizarre, wonderful, and wholly confusing country would you see a sign banning unauthorized communion taking, a picture of bread and wine in a circle with a line drawn through it in the style of a no-smoking warning. The Israeli authorities were obviously worried about tourists slipping off for a crafty time of sacramental fellowship on holy sites without proper leadership. And so in some places in Israel, it's declared illegal to share bread and wine. Imagine the police stopping a dodgy looking pilgrim. Freeze, hands up, we don't want any trouble. Just be a good boy and hand over the loaf and the Merlot. There is, of course, a vast variety of religious kitsch available when you visit Israel. Here you can buy your very own crown of thorns, certificate of authenticity included, or bottled water from the River Jordan, green and slimy, but apparently rather holy H2O. There are also endless places where epic stuff apparently happened. Helpfully, Whenever I've led trips to Israel, we've been assisted by marvellous guides who never once even nudge us towards revering the place where Moses allegedly stopped for a cappuccino. But the warning most inconsistent with the spirit of the place was posted at the beach where tradition says Jesus cooked breakfast for his weary, hungry friends, the event described in the 21st chapter of John's Gospel. The place is called Tabgar. As we strolled up to the entrance gate, yet another sign screamed a warning in forbidding red lettering. Holy place, no shorts. Rats. I was the only member of our group wearing this item of clothing that God apparently didn't like, and since they came down almost to my knees, I hoped for a grace dispensation. But I was stopped at the gate by a stern-looking chap who remonstrated with me because my knees were in view. In the end, he let me in, but only after I promised that if I met the priest who guarded the beach, obviously an attack priest, on the lookout for knee-flashing communicants, I would say that I'd been duly warned at the gate. I was then instructed to pull my shorts as far down over my apparently lust-inducing knees as possible, which I did, but there were now fresh dangers afoot. This adjustment of my shorts seriously inhibited my ability to walk, so the prospect of tripping over my lowered shorts and breaking a limb marred my joy at seeing the place where Jesus provided Peter with a bumper catch. It also occurred to me that this sanctified shorts lowering might result in my marching onto the historic beach while sporting a very unholy builder's bottom. With difficulty, I managed the manoeuvre without injury or, as far as I know, indecent exposure. But how sad it is that visitors to this lovely place were greeted by such a stern prohibition, and this at the site where Jesus exuded such welcome, grace, care for his weary, worn-out fishing friends, and yes, simple, beautiful kindness. What first impressions do people get when they bump into me? Is mine a life that quickly drops a hint of good news? And what about our churches, which are, of course, collectively what we are individually? Do people feel genuine acceptance, kindness and welcome when they're around us? Or do they sense that we're on the lookout for a better class of sinner?
Back that day at the beach, I saw the hurt in the eyes of a young couple who were barred from the beach because of their summery shorts. And I wondered if we in the church have sent people packing in the name of cold clinical holiness. Of course, hanging out with accomplished sinners will always get you into trouble, as Jesus most famously found out. There was a final irony. When we left, I smiled at the holiness sentry who had warned me so sternly about my clothing selection. I'd been so embarrassed and upset that my knees might defiled something. I hadn't noticed that he was wearing shorts. Again, let's be kind. So tonight, as we've considered the legacy of Betty Boothroyd, a heart of kindness, let me share with you the words of J.R. Miller, who says, There have been meetings of only a moment which have left impressions for life and for eternity. No one can understand that mysterious thing we call influence, and yet every one of us continually exerts influence, either to heal, to bless, to leave marks of beauty, or to wound, to hurt, to poison, to stain other lives. In my life and in yours, may this coming week be marked with kindness. See you next time. Lucas on Life.